You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And sitting beside me today is my first female co-host, Heather Lapham. Heather works behind the scenes of the Doc Lounge podcast, helping the whole show run smoothly, so without her, we would be lost. Thank you, Heather, for jumping on and co-hosting with me today. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Felice Gersh. Dr. Gersh is double board certified in OBGYN and integrated medicine. She is the founder and medical director of the Integrated Medical Group of Irvine, California. And she was also one of the first dual certified integrative gynecologists. So we are excited to have her on the podcast today. Let's get started. And just a quick reminder, this podcast is intended to be an open forum. Any personal beliefs, views, or opinions represented in this episode are that of our guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Pacific Companies. So please have an open mind and remember that this podcast is not a news source, but rather a safe and neutral platform for candid conversations. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gersh, for talking with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. To get started... Just to get our listeners a little bit more familiar uh, with you, tell us where you grew up and what made you want to get into medicine. Well, I grew up in Great Neck, that's on Long Island in New York, and I always wanted to do something that would be interesting, exciting, using my brain and my skills. And when I grew up in my family, we were really um, focused on three potential career paths. I don't know how that happened, but it was either you were to be a teacher, a lawyer, or a doctor. And I I knew there were other careers. In fact, I loved watching Superman. I thought I'd like to be a reporter like Lois Lane. But I really focused on those three, and I really loved science and working with people. So I chose really early on I wanted to go into medicine. But it wasn't until I was in medical school that I chose to go into my specialty, caring for women, OBGYN. Why did you choose to go that route? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, I found it so exciting. I kind of like adrenaline rushes and Mm -hmm. going into the OR and doing surgery and going into the delivery room and doing deliveries. There was always so much excitement and uh, sometimes things would be stressed. You know, like people, women would come in and they would, the baby was coming out and the fetal heart rate was going down or there would be bleeding or, you know, the complications. And I was like, okay, I'm going right into action and I could save lives and do amazing things. So I guess I liked that adrenaline rush and also that you could follow patients in your office. So it was a combination of doing high-tech surgery and doing deliveries, but also having an office practice where you could follow patients for years, So unlike general surgery, where usually you would do surgery and then maybe you'd never see them again. So I like the whole combination of hospital care and also office care. And then there was the sort of personal sort of issues, and that is that I was having my own problems, and I went for a couple of years. I didn't have a period. I was having issues with chronic acne and like I knew something was like wrong with me here mm-hmm. and part of it was to try to find what was going on in my own body that you know how that always is kind of a 
kind of a, uh, a tradition that people go into a specialty, either people in their family have dealt with that issue or they themselves, and it just makes it both uh, generally interesting and also personally interesting. So, in fact, I ended up self-diagnosing myself with polycystic ovary syndrome when I was a resident in in, uh, in training. So, oh, wow. so and so I've and I've loved it ever since. So, there are a few things about it. You know, the, the schedule is not so easy, but it was definitely a good match. I, I loved the excitement and and all I accomplished in my career. I've done thousands and thousands of deliveries, and I've also done thousands of surgeries and seen thousands of patients in my office. So it's been incredibly gratifying. Yeah, sounds like it. What made you focus on the GYN side of things? Well, that happened actually close to a dozen years ago when it was my time to stop doing obstetrics. I'd done it for more than two decades, but the schedule being basically kind of like a noose around me, like I was on a short leash because I had to be available. If someone went into labor, you had to be able to get to the hospital fast. And I love to be available to my patients. So it meant that I, I really couldn't get too far from the hospital. And yeah. then I had to, of course, I you know I had coverage when I went on vacation and so on. But I always wanted to check on my patients. And then there was the night work. Well, I didn't understand at first. I kept thinking, why is it that all these women are going into labor at night and then delivering in the early wee morning hours? And then mm-hmm. I learned much, much later that we have these amazing things in our body called clocks. We have clock genes that mm-hmm. really help us to survive. It's all about survival from the get-go when we were first evolving as humans. And of course, it's much safer for a woman to be in labor during the night under the cloak of darkness, and then she could deliver just as the sun was rising and then find another place of safety, protect herself and her baby. Um, But of course, that meant I had to be involved in all these night labors and early morning deliveries. And uh, after so many years, it just took a physical toll on me. So after I stopped doing obstetrics, that's when I really focused on GYN, and I really expanded into total women's health care because it became very apparent to me after I guess I got more sleep, a little bit more time, that everything in the female body is interrelated, and reproductive functions are totally linked to metabolic functions. And metabolism is the creation, distribution of energy. And energy, of course, is the spark of life. And it's all interrelated, which of course it is, because nature wouldn't create a a female that would be unhealthy and yet incredibly fertile. I mean, it doesn't work that way. So the whole body has to be healthy in order for a female to be successful with reproduction. And, of course, that's really what evolution has always been about. Now, we as humans have kind of gone our own path different, you know, differently than other animals in, our, in the animal kingdom because humans are the only ones that want to control their reproductive destiny. I mean, you don't have dogs and cats and, you know, lions and, you know, giraffes thinking about, this is not a good year for me to have a baby. I want to work on my career. You know, it doesn't yeah. happen. But so humans are very unique. But we evolved every species in the animal kingdom and also in the plant world evolved for reproductive success. You know, that's what it's all about. And it's really important that we have a healthy body. And so the more I understood the link between reproductive health and total body metabolic health, it became apparent that I have to know about everything. To really help women to be healthy in one area, 
they have to be healthy in all areas. And that's when I really expanded into total female wellness health. And um, so I've been very busy in dealing with that ever since. Wow. So when you moved into focusing on just gynecology, was that when you started studying, you know, a more integrated approach to medicine? Because I see you, you went to school for that, correct? Yes. Now, I was always aware that there was more to helping women to be optimally healthy than just giving them pharmaceuticals and doing surgery. So from the very inception of my practice, like within a very couple of few years, I incorporated into my practice a Chinese medicine practitioner. I had a psychologist, a nutritionist, a massage therapist, biofeedback. So I had many, many what I called my ancillary help. So I knew that there was more to helping people to be healthy than just writing a prescription. But mm-hmm. I myself had no additional special training in anything beyond what I call the conventional. So it was after I stopped doing obstetrics almost a dozen years ago that I went decided to go back to school. And I did the two-year fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona School of Medicine and finished that in 2012. And then I went on to become one of the very first in the world to become board certified in integrative medicine, which is now a fully recognized, very respected um, field and where you have a board certification. And then um, I continued taking more courses, never looked back, and that's been my life ever since. That's great. For our listeners who may not know what integrative medicine is, can you summarize that for us? Sure. It's what all medicine should be. Eventually, that's just what medicine will be. It's really looking at the whole person, not just one thing, not just one symptom. Like many times in medicine, they say, what's your chief complaint? Like, what's your one problem? We'll deal with one problem. Well, life isn't like that. It's complex. So we, we spend time with our patients. We look at the whole myriad of issues that are facing that person. They're social relationships, their environmental toxicants, their lifestyle choices, the nutrition, exercise, fitness, sleep, stress, and then, of course, you know, just um, as well, their symptoms. And then, of course, we do advanced testing. We look at nutrient status and complexity involving inflammation markers, advanced lipid panels, um, autoimmune testing. So we look at more complexity in terms of what's going on in the body. And then we try to put it all together and look for the root causes. So we don't just want to put Band-Aids on symptoms. That doesn't mean we ignore symptoms. We want to reduce symptoms. But we don't spend what, unfortunately, conventional medicine has become is how do we suppress a symptom. And now that's really taken over. We definitely don't want people walking around with terrible symptoms, but we want to look at the root cause for those symptoms. And often there'll be a whole array of symptoms that a person has. They may go to multiple doctors, get all kinds of different prescriptions, and it turns out that there is a single root cause. For all of those symptoms, it's just manifesting differently in different organ systems. So we wouldn't give people seven different pharmaceuticals. We would help to deal with the underlying cause of all of those symptoms. And Mm -hmm. integrative medicine looks at the whole array of evidence-based therapies. So everything that is efficacious, evidence-based. So that could include things that aren't always in the toolbox of conventional doctors. For example, meditation, guided imagery, looking at fitness, sunlight as medicine, helping Mm -hmm. with sleep hygiene, looking at nutrients, 
time-restricted eating, fasting. So we look at a whole array of therapeutic tools that often the conventional doctor isn't isn't familiar with and doesn't use as their part of their therapeutic plan. So you say that integrative medicine is going to be the way of the future, but as of right now, how do you feel like the industry is adapting to this integrative approach? I know there's a lot of funding and backing going behind pharmaceuticals and uh, insurance companies aren't necessarily covering certain integrative approaches. So where do you think we're at right now with that? Well, I, I really think it's going to be a consumer-driven change because I see this among consumers. They're, they're tired of going to a doctor, having a, a five-minute, six-minute visit, and then here's your prescription and, yeah. and really not getting the time of day, not really being looked at. You know, we know that doctors as a whole have very high rates of burnout. They're not happy either. And because they're not getting proper education, I hate to say it, but doctors coming out, it's like shocking to me. They're not being taught anything about fitness, nutrition, stress, rhythms of the body, the, the microbiomes. It's like these are all over PubMed. <laughs> these are these published peer-reviewed articles on everything. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's been this problem that from when things are di- when things are really recognized scientifically and with published articles, it can be 17 years, and that's where they came up with that number before it's implemented clinically. And that yeah. is hardly acceptable. I mean, we know the gut microbiome is critical to basically every every area, every function of the body, whether we're talking cardiovascular, we're talking neurological, you know, gut microbiomes are, are just affecting everything throughout the body. And yet they're really not teaching that. Yeah. But yet the consumers know that because they read Scientific American. They, they're reading the science articles, and, and so they're going to demand this. So they're not going to put up with this anymore. I think it's it's going to change. But it is, like you said, it's really a dichotomy now. There's like two like warring areas here. There's sort of the protocol-driven, one-size-fits-all kind of a thing. Like you come in, you have this symptom, you get this prescription, goodbye. Mm-hmm. And it's like no individualization, no personalization. What we call precision personalized medicine doesn't exist. And then there's the other side, like the kind of medicine that I'm practicing, where we look at each person like a snowflake. What are your genetics? What are your exposures? What's your toxic load? What's your lifestyle? You know, everything. And I think that that people are going to be demanding that. And it may turn out that there's a dual medical system for a while, that we have doctors like myself and then we have the other doctors. And it's it's really a shame because the doctors who are not aware of some of the newest scientific discoveries like circadian rhythm and gut microbiome, and these are not mm-hmm. – um, superstitions, you know, these are science, evidence-based science discoveries, and they just don't know about them, that um, they feel insecure, then it just may take a while to actually help get medical school faculties on board, because, you know, often they're driven by a lot of the um, big pharma and medical device companies, and Mm -hmm. if there's no money to be made in working on time-restricted eating, like, you know, what day, what time of the day you should eat. There's nobody makes money off of that, right? And um, nobody makes a lot of money by telling people to get some bright sunlight exposures or make their room dark at night. I mean, there's just a lot of things where they're very critical to health, but they're not going to be marketed as a big 
blockbuster drug. You know, yeah. so they don't. Medical schools are heavily controlled by the the big pharma because they put a lot of money into studies and 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 so forth, and um, medical device companies. And but there are some medical schools now that are refusing to take any subsidies and money, and it's going to be changing. I I. I I think it can't go on this way. There's just so many enzyme systems and cytokines that you can block in the body and still have the body keep working. Because unfortunately, the really the approach to a lot of things are, and this relates to menstrual dysfunction. When women have menstrual dysfunction, like or they have pain, irregular cycles, the conventional approach is get rid of the menstrual cycle altogether. It's like wait a minute, you're like get rid of it. It doesn't work. Get rid of it. But that's like you have termites in your house. Let's blow up your house. It's like what kind of an approach is that? We'll just get rid of all your hormones, and then we'll yeah. give you chemical endocrine disruptors to replace it. It's like it's so bizarre when you really think about it. Or your immune system isn't working, you know, properly, and you're so we'll just take down your immune system. It's like, but we need an immune system, um, and sometimes short term. You really need to do things like that. I mean, if you have an immune system that's destroying your joints or an organ, you have to just put it on pause mode, right? You just have to yeah. stop it. But long term, what's the long term goal? Not to have an immune system, you know, or like the long term goal for a woman who has irregular cycles or painful periods or is to not have any hormones? I mean, it's just yeah. bizarre when you really think about it. Short term, maybe you have to do some of these things. But long term, that's not a solution. So that's where I think the future is going to be. That, And I, I don't know how long the transition will be. I, I'm thinking maybe over a decade that it's just going to be. But I really think it's going to be consumer driven that people will say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. You know, I, I need real solutions. I, I don't want to have all my hormones taken away. I don't want to have my immune system taken down for life. You know, we need exactly. to have better solutions. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the underlying issues are really more like public health issues, which doctors are not really involved with, like the ubiquitous environmental toxicants, you know, the plastics, the flame retardants, all the things that are destroying basically every facet of our health. And, you know, we don't really have doctors thinking about it. We have problems with construction, so we have a lot of mold growing in, in buildings, and, and doctors are not aware of a lot of these things. And so the sort of public health problems of what is and isn't in our water, you know, look at, you know, everyone knows that Flint, Michigan, they had a problem mm -hmm. with lead, and then mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my God, there's lead in a lot of water systems, and now they're finding, oh, there's flame retardants, there's jet fuel. I mean, you know, it's like... But these are things that are public health problems, but they affect each individual, and our medical system is sort of disconnected from public health issues, which are having enormous ramifications on the health of our entire population. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know you, earlier when you were saying that, you know, the change in, in treatment is going to be consumer driven. You know, I personally have been on birth control to manage my PCOS for 10 years and I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I don't want this to be my everyday life forever. How do I make a change that's not involving this sort of, you know, what did you say they were? Some uh, disruptor, endocrine disruptor. Oh, yeah. Endocrine disruptors, which is, that's what birth control pills are. Unfortunately, yeah. if you went to 
if you went to the um, toxicology website on, from the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, they have a toxicology website. Every ingredient in a birth control pill is officially listed as an endocrine disruptor. And that's what they are because they're disrupting the normal hormones. Now, when people are not making hormones properly, they think, well, we need to do something. And of course, we should do something. But, you know, I don't personally believe that the long-term solution should be, maybe sometimes short-term, but the long-term solution should be to get rid of all of our natural hormones and then replace them with endocrine disruptors. We yeah. have to have better solutions, and that's that's what we're working on. But it is challenging because, like I said, there's all these public health problems of if you're exposing huge segments of the population to endocrine disruptors when they're in utero and in early childhood when the body is developing and hormone receptors are developing, we don't really know how to fix those things later. We can work with them, but we can't really go back to scratch, you know, and start over, you know, so you get one chance to make the body, the endocrine receptors to make all the brain connections, you know. So once you have, like we know that if a baby is exposed to alcohol that we call like fetal alcohol syndrome where the mother was just drinking all the time while she was pregnant we don't know really how to fix the brains or like cocaine babies and that's what we don't know how to go back and fix the brains we don't know how to go back and fix hormone receptors that were malformed in utero so we can certainly do a lot we can do a lot to help but that's where we have to start from scratch and help people long before they're even conceived. You know, we have to work yeah. with the mothers. And and this isn't happening anywhere to the degree that it should. You know, in mm-hmm. fact, when women, like with PCOS, have infertility, which is very a very high prevalence, it's the number one cause of infertility in women, and then they can't get pregnant, they go to an IVF center, they immediately get put into IVF. Well, the majority of the time it doesn't work anyway, but when it does work, those children are not going to have an optimal health because they're epigenetically modified by the mother. The mother's health, which is not good, that's why she wasn't fertile, the mother's health wasn't good, and then her health reflects into the developing child. And yeah. so it changes when a mother is malnourished, when a mother is obese, when a mother has metabolic issues, gestational diabetes and all these things, her babies don't come out quite right. You know, we have to be honest about that. Those children are born with high high rates of metabolic syndrome as children. They're, by the time they're just little children, they're already containing all kinds of visceral fat. They're already metabolically unhealthy, tending towards diabetes when they're four years old. And we need to get women healthy before they get pregnant, not just trick their bodies into getting pregnant. Their bodies Mm -hmm. are saying something like, I'm not healthy. You know, fertility is a vital sign of health. When a woman is infertile, we need to try to help her to become, even if we can't get her pregnant naturally, which sometimes we you know, we still have to do things like IVF, we should get her optimally healthy as much as possible before she goes through those kinds of procedures, those, you know, um, advanced reproductive techniques, because we want to have a healthy child. We're, we're building a population of unhealthy children. So there's a lot to be done. What can I say? Yeah. You know, I think um, the medical profession has a lot of house cleaning and a lot of, you know, 
soul searching to be done to try to help people um, in a lot better ways than what's really happening today. And uh, hopefully that will happen. And it's a small group of doctors, you know, percentage-wise compared to, like, the million who are probably more conventionally oriented. But, you know, sometimes that's all it takes, a small group of, um, you know, rule breakers, <laughs> you know, yeah. disruptors, where, like, mm-hmm. disrupt the system and make people aware that, you know, what we're doing has to has to change. Yeah, absolutely. With all your history, what has been your most interesting case so far? Oh, well, I've had so, so many. In in terms of fertility, I have had patients, I've had patients who um, had no periods for like two years, kind of like, like myself, and um, just by doing lifestyle modifications, They've lost tremendous, they were overweight, they lost tremendous amounts of weight, and then were able to conceive naturally and had healthy, beautiful babies. So probably helping women to conceive who otherwise have really no, no real um, opportunity to have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby has been really rewarding. And the other is probably on the other spectrum, women who are going through their um, menopausal transition and they're having horrendous hot flashes and mood swings and working with bioidentical hormones, which is another really very important area of my specialty um, that I have expertise in, is helping women to reestablish hormonal balance um, as they transition through the menopause and then for the rest of their lives they'll be in menopause to help them to really stay optimally healthy because nature gives women a raw deal. It is what it is, but when reproduction ends, so does metabolic health. They're linked. That's the problem. They're, everything in the body is linked. So when reproduction ends, you know, the real opportunity to be optimally healthy really ends as well. And we need to be honest about that. But by giving women all the tools to have a healthy lifestyle and giving them bioidentical hormones given in a physiologic dosing, not the tiniest dose, but the best dose, the most physiologic dose. Women mm-hmm. can stay unbelievably vibrant and healthy, right, right, you know, for, for decades more so that they can really have what we call a health span. Women tend to live longer than men, but they live poorly. Women have more osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, depression, um, sleep disorders. Women have a lot of problems. They live in a lot of chronic pain and they live longer, but they don't live well. So my goal is not just to live long. I want that too, but to live with vibrancy, what we call health span. And then by giving women the proper tools to live the proper lifestyle that they need and then giving them hormones. Like if somebody came and took out everyone's thyroid gland, they wouldn't tell them, okay, you don't have a thyroid gland. You don't make any more thyroid hormone. So, you know, why don't you take Advil, you know, or why don't you, um, you know, take an herb? or even that, you can't replace a hormone with anything but the hormone. There's no replacement. So when you lose your ovarian production of these vital hormones, estrogen and progesterone, there's no substitute except to give back the hormones, and it's just as dramatic as if somebody came around and just took out your thyroid gland one day, and it changes everything in the body. You can survive, but you don't survive really well. So um, working on in, with women to help them 
to become reproductively successful, to have healthy children, and helping women to live really quality lives for what could be sometimes the last half of their lives, right? A full Mm -hmm. 50% of the lifespan of a woman can be in the menopause. And, you know, I don't want joints replaced. I don't want dementia. Women have almost three times the incidence of Alzheimer's as males do. So we want to do everything to protect women so that they can live the third or you know, half, second half of their lives with really quality health. And I just have so many patients in all those different categories. But it's like looking at those transformations that really keeps me going every day. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're almost out of time, but I have another question for you. For all the women and GYNs listening, what would be your best advice for keeping up gynecological hygiene? Well, for um, for women, we have to think about all the microbiomes. And for example, the vaginal microbiome, which has really been under attended to. So we don't want to put toxic chemicals in into vaginal um, canals. We want to think about like, do you really want to put you know a, a chemical laden um, you know, tampon, or do you want to use something that's organic? Um, everything that we put in our body, we want to try as much as possible to make it organic. Chemicals are not a food group, or and it should not really be part of our bodies, these alien chemicals. So maintaining a healthy vaginal microbiome is really, really key. And um, just recognizing, like I started, like going back to the beginning, that female reproductive health is completely interwoven with metabolic health. So you have to learn lifestyle medicine. You can't, there's no drug that replaces exercise or quality sleep or love or friendships, you know, or getting sunlight. There's no pharmaceutical that replaces lifestyle. So every doctor and every patient really needs to learn what is now called lifestyle medicine, what to do on a daily basis to really give your body the tools it needs so that you can harness your innate mechanisms to maintain health. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, I'm going to sneak in one last question. If you had one piece of advice to give to physicians who are done with training and fellowship and ready to step foot into the career world, what would that be? Well, I would say how to really think for yourself. And so in the beginning of my career, I really looked up to, and it's not like I I don't, you know, a lot of the academics and whatever they said, I just believed it. I took it on its face value that this was the truth. Now I think for myself, and I think every young doctor out there needs to, like, question. Don't just say, oh, this really highly respected person said this. It must be true. No, question everything and do your own research. I live on PubMed and Google Scholar. You can read all the original research, you can put together and formulate your own ideas. We live in a different world now than actually the one that I lived in when I went through medical school, so it's really different. I did not have access, easily available access to all of the research that is now out there. Now with the internet, with, you know, PubMed and Google Scholar, and these, you know, really easily usable search, search organs, we can find everything. It's no longer a secret society. Everything that's published is available to everyone. So you need to think for yourself. 
don't take anything as this is, you know, like absolute truth. You know, you really need to remember things that were thought to be absolutely the the truth like 30 years ago, now we know they're wrong, right? Every, you know, they always say when you go to medical school, half of what you are taught is wrong. You just don't know which half it is, right? Well, yeah. the reality is that we have to keep learning. And we now, because it's no longer a secret society, everything that's published is available to everyone to read. Go and just scour PubMed, put in search terms, and read the original research. It's fascinating and you can actually use your brilliant brains to come up with your own conclusions that's what i do now i'm what i call a synthesizer i search through um, veterinary medicine environmental science i look at everything that's published out there to then formulate conclusions about how things are working and a lot of things that are happening in medicine are often very narrow like they only look at one little part but you can go out there and look at the whole realm of all published research in everything you can think for yourself so that's what i would encourage all the young doctors is don't feel like you're you know robots you Mm -hmm. have brilliant brains think for yourself be creative don't let anyone tell you you have to think this. You know that we will stifle all creativity and all adventure, you know, all inventions and all progress if people just get like brainwashed into protocol-driven medicine. Think for yourself. Do your own research and think of it as every day is a challenge. It's an exploration. Mm-hmm. It's fun, so you'll never get burnt out. Yeah, be your own advocate. Really, absolutely. Well, Dr. Gersh, it's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate your time. Um, I loved hearing about your journey, and thank you for all the advice. Um, I find you so inspiring, and I love that even though you've been practicing for so long, you still have that passion and drive, and you're heading off to India soon to speak. Is that correct? I may be going to India. That's on a little bit of hold because I had a conflict. I have to go to Boston on the same day they wanted me to go to India. But mm-hmm. I have coming up in 2020, so it's a maybe India. But mm-hmm. I also have what is definitely on the books. I'm going to Kuala Lumpur. I'm going to England. I am, um, let's see, I'm going to Dubai. And I have many uh, domestic trips as well. So I am definitely busy. That's incredible. But you're speaking about what you believe in and what you're passionate about. And that's what it's all about. Always. And everyone should find their passion and just follow it. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not doing it, I mean, who who's gonna, you know, you can't just wait for someone. So <laughs> exactly. Well, it's well, been a joy. Thank you so much for for chatting with us today. Um, Heather, did you have something? Well, I just wanted to say I, I understand. Do you have one book and another on the way? Do you want to tell us about those really quick? Well, the the book on the way has arrived. It's the oh, okay. so it just it just came out, and so um, we were going to put it out after, but we said let's just put it out before Christmas. So my original book, PCOS SOS: A Gynecologist's Lifeline to Naturally Restore Your Rhythms, Hormones, and Happiness, is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's been out for not quite a year, and mm-hmm. our my second book, which is PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track, and that's a 12-week program. Week by week, I describe exactly what to do to optimize fertility so that you can make a healthy baby, have an uncomplicated pregnancy, and delivery. So yeah. that's my, uh, my the first of my Fast Track series, which are 12-week 
step-by-step programs to help you get exactly what you want to get out of life. And you'll be able to get those on Amazon? Yes, they're both available on Amazon, both in a Kindle version and in the paperback version. Cool. So in our description, we'll link, we'll get those Amazon links for our listeners, and then we'll also put a link to your website in case someone wants to, to reach out. Thank you so much. No problem. We really appreciate your time and thank you for what you do. Yes, thank, thank you so much. Oh, and thanks for having me on and helping mm-hmm. to spread the word. And you have a wonderful day and a great holiday. You too. Bye. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.